And it was so good. And I was sitting there and I was like, I don't know. I was like, I mean, it, kinda, it may not work out too well. So uh, I may have to sub in somebody right there. But it was really good. I, you know, ice cream. Kelly told me beforehand, I already know this, but the Kentucky plays tonight at 6.30. So uh, Kelly's probably got it. He's already got his watch. He's looking, you know, right there. Jameson said he's going to hold up the scoreboard. You know, this hand Kentucky scores. South Carolina scores is this hand. So, uh so anyway, we've got just a lot happening right here. The last question, we were in Philippians. We've been in Philippians the last couple of weeks. And the last time that we were together, which was last Wednesday night, we were wrapping up Philippians, the first chapter. So go ahead and be turning to that if you're not, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're not already there. Uh, the very end, and we'll be starting with chapter 2 here tonight. But the last thing that we looked at, the last handful of verses of Philippians chapter 1, 27, 8, 9, 30, my Bible entitled it Striving and Suffering for Christ. And we discussed both of those words as we sort of wrap things up. And let's go with the second word first. What does it mean to suffer? To hurt. To hurt? Okay. Pain, stress out, to do without, suffering, we kind of all, we all know what it means, but it can mean different things at different times, you know. We've probably all suffered from an illness. Have you ever had like the flu or, you know, something like that? That is genuine suffering. I mean, compare the flu to a little bit of a head cold, right? Well, there's no comparison. Anybody ever suffered with a head cold though? Can't breathe. Well, maybe there is something there. We, can, do we suffer sometimes with um, issues that are facing us? Family issues. Job issues. We all suffer from this. Just genuine stress. Now, have we ever suffered for someone else? I think yeah. But why would you say that? <coughs> <laughs> So, in the most literal sense, Jimmy's probably right. If I tell Jimmy right now, I am sick at my stomach, that does not make Jimmy sick at his stomach. I have to suffer that myself. 
But how do we, in some cases, suffer for someone? Somebody who's going through a trying time, someone's emotionally having difficult times, or if someone that's connected to them is having difficult times. We suffer with others when perhaps there's a death in a family. Uh, there's a, the, the, the guy that I told you about maybe last week, the, the athletic director that at the high school, uh, his mother passed away last night. She had been ill for some time, and she passed away last night. I have never met the woman. She'll be buried on Saturday. I will never see the woman. But I've suffered for him. Because he's a friend of mine. His office is two doors down from mine. We talk every day. And he's not been there for a week. And I got somebody that I usually talk to three or four times every single day. I, I'm suffering. Now, my suffering is totally different from his. But we can suffer for. Now, the Bible there in Philippians at the end of chapter 1 talks about suffering for Christ. What does that mean? Paul is in prison. And he's suffering because... And the only reason he's in prison is because he's a gospel preacher. Okay. No other reason. So suffering for Christ. Paul is in prison because of what he has been doing, what his job was, what, and let's be honest, what he has chosen to do, right? right. Paul could have easily said, not, not doing this. When the situation got tough, I don't want any part of this. He very well did it. But he chose to suffer. Most of us, we talked about this last week, most of us, if we got hauled off to jail, we'd be too happy about it. We don't want that kind of suffering. Paul was doing it. Because let's look at the first word, which was striving. What does it mean to strive? To strive is to try, to move toward. What else? What comes to mind when you strive? I think about Peter on both of those. You know, Peter strived to save Jesus in the garden, pulled the sword out, was trying to save him, so he was striving to do good for Christ, and then turned right around and refused to suffer for Christ because he was afraid possibly he could be executed right you know, so I can see Peter playing both roles. absolutely absolutely so striving you know, we're, when we hear the word strive we're moving towards something we're trying to accomplish something we have a program in our elementary schools it's called striving readers and it's for kids that are trying to that don't read as well as they should and they're trying to get them to that next level you know it's going to take some work okay if we're striving for Christ what does that mean standing together for one cause. It's really hard to strive without other people supporting. Those little kids that are trying to become better readers, you can't just throw a book out and say, hope it works out. What's it take to get a kid to be able to read better? You gotta work with them. The teacher has to work with them. The parents have to work with them. Everybody has to work with them. What does it take as a Christian to be a better Christian? We have to work with one another. Connie, go out there and be a better Christian. I'm going to go over here. I mean, just like that kid that's striving to read might get better. She might get better to be a whole lot better if somebody else is right here with her. A lot of times we want to strive. We want to see other people strive, but we don't want to help. You've ever done a sack race, one of those two-legged races? Both of you put your right leg and they put their left leg in the potato sack and go down the way. You ever done that? Billy, how far are you making? It's hard. It's hard to do. They used to do those at the field day when we were in school and when I taught as well. And the first time they'd go, they'd fall all over each other. The second time, there was usually one of them that took the other one and said, you do what I do. They hopped and the first one was here and the second one was dragging along, but they weren't falling down. 
Third time, they said, let's both work together. And he went first. How does that relate to us striving as Christians? We put our legs together and all, we both try to go at our own pace, we're going to fall down. If I put mine with you, but you're not ready yet, I'm dragging it, he may get there, but it's not really going to work out as well for him. So if we work hard together, put them together and go, we'll win. Nobody ever won the two-legged race by himself. And that's an example of really strive. It's more than trying. It's more, it's more than a diligent effort that you're having to really work at. I've strived for years Alright, so let's 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 clarify. Have you ever done a two-legged sack race? No. But I have strived to learn the mind count. That's why you don't ever get picked in this. The mind's all that. I'll, I'll let it up in the sack race. I'm just kidding. But but it's impossible for me. I mean, I think I could if I really just worked day and night. Right. There's so much I won't learn, but I can't talk to it. But it's something that interests me, and if it really interests you, and you got to really, economics is the hardest thing I ever had. Everything always came easy. But I mean, I said at the table many a time and cried my eyes out because I couldn't get it until one day the light bulb came up. The dismal so science. Yes. He knows a, a conscious, hard, faith-paced effort to get there. All of us have something that we'd like to do better at. Okay? Mine is not the mind calendar, but yours might be. Okay? But whatever it is that you're going to try to get better at, that's why it takes work. Okay? I hope that our answer of what would you like to be better at includes a Christian. Amen. It should be. Okay? It should be. You may have been a Christian for 100 years. Still be better, right? At least we should be striving to get there. Now, this letter that Paul had written to the folks there at Philippi, we're going to go into chapter 2 here just a little bit, uh, the first four verses to start with. We're going to talk about how that the Philippians here have already sort of experienced some things. They've been through some stuff already. Let's go to Philippians, the second chapter, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. Linda, do you care to read Philippians 2, 1, 2, 3, and 4, please? The title there in my Bible says Unity Through Humility. Okay? Now, when we think about united, if we think about something being united, everybody has to sort of be going in the same direction. You may not see everything out of eye, but you're not going to be very united if you're not going toward the same direction. But it says there, unity through humility. You've all heard the word humility or humble. When someone is humble, that means what? They have a meek spirit. They have a meek spirit. We still just say meek as well. Okay. What else? Do we, what else comes to mind with humility? Not boastful. Not boastful. Okay. How many of you know somebody that is not humble? You can tell it pretty quick a lot of times, right? You ever known somebody that no matter what you did, they could do it better? 
not really humility, right? I can jump over this building. I can jump over two buildings, all right? That humility there is, is lacking, okay? What do we struggle with when we lack humility? Maybe not a question. What do we struggle with when we lack humility? I think it's hard for us to be kind to others. <clears throat> if we're so conceited about ourselves. You know, if most time if, if you you will struggle with the self more than you have anything else if 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 you're not humble, you know. Okay. Uh, Brent, most time, if you tell Brent, Brent, that was an excellent sermon, he will say, praise the Lord. Mm -hmm. uh, he tries to deflect the praise to God, okay, rather than, oh, yeah, well, I did a great job, you know, you know like some people might say. And uh, I think that's a, that's a kind thing of him. He's a very humble person. You, we all know that. But that's one way he does that. And, uh, rather than saying, oh, yeah, I thought I just did right. Go to verse 3 there that uh, Linda read just on here. Read verse 3. So read it out loud to me. Just again. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. So let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Now, this whole series of lessons has been about sort of how we can grow as Christians in the church today using things that were written 2,000 years ago. Okay? My question to you a minute ago was, if you lack humility, you're going to suffer in what way? That's not exactly how I worded it. I can't understand what you're going through if I have no humility. Because the whole time, I'm thinking about what I can do that's better than you. Okay? I jokingly said, you can jump over one building, I can jump over two. But you've probably known people that the whole time you're talking... You can see the gears. They just can't wait to jump in and tell you more on their end. Well, how can I have humility? How can I be humble? How can I know where you're coming from if I only am thinking about myself? I can't. How can I be a Christian if I'm only thinking about myself? You know, Daniel, I think about somebody in the Scriptures that didn't have humility, and it was the Pharisee when, when he said, I'm glad I'm not like this tax collector here. And he said, he's done this, and then this, you know, and I've done this, and it. Is that somebody that likes humility? Absolutely so. And that man easily could have just said his prayer right there. There was, it didn't matter who the other people were, but he, I'm glad I'm not. And it, I read that almost like, he was like, you know, get ready to point that finger right at that person. It's not like point. I'm sorry, Josh. But you can almost read it like that. It's almost like he was looking for somebody that I am better than. That lack of humility. Now, who was the best? Who lived the best, most Christian life of anybody who's ever lived? Jesus. Jesus. Now, Jesus wasn't a Christian per se because that came after him. But Jesus, as a Christian, was more concerned about who? Him or others? How do you know that? Give me an example of how Jesus was more concerned about himself than others. He had compassion on the multitudes. He had compassion on the multitudes, okay? Well, how else? He gave his life for you. Hmm, very good answer right there. If I genuinely am humble, I want to do everything that I can to help someone else. I want to deflect it away from me and help somebody else. Jesus, what's the song say? He could have what? 
He could have called 10,000 angels. I would I'd have asked for 20. You know why? He's better than I am. Yeah. Dim and I were well, four or five years ago we were in backyard burgers in Somerset, and there was these two men there, probably in their 60s. And this one guy's telling his basketball exploits real loud <laughs> 40 years ago when he was in high school. And he told every detail of every play and everything. And it, thank goodness he was the hero. And, uh, <laughs> but everybody in backyard burgers wanted to be somewhere else, right. including the man that was sitting across the table. He was too loud, but he was so self absorbed about his basketball exploits, which they really were. Uh, you know, for 40 years old. And I thought it's remarkable you could remember every detail, but it was about him. So that, but that, that's just, a, he was a person that everybody in there was kind of glad that I'm just, let's get on the way from right. And he wouldn't say anything mean or ugly or cussing or anything like that. He just, he was so enraptured with himself. And it's the worst thing ever. I can remember every point I scored in high school, but it wasn't a very big number. So, I, you know, both, both of those shots went in. I couldn't believe it. All right. Let's go a little further. Verses 5 through 11 there. Lucille, do you care to read verse 5 through 11? Stop at 11 there, okay? So, we read in verses 5 through 11 about who? Who's Paul talking about here? Christ. And he's given just a quick little story of what Jesus went through. And, and how does Paul describe Jesus in this hand, these handful of verses? Pretty much all he was doing his complete service. Okay. Yeah. It's a lot. The whole thing, you know, it's this and this and this. Uh, it, it's a list of service. Is there any humility in verses 5 through 11? Oh. I was going to say, is there any non-humility? You know, no, it's all humility right there in that, in that handful of verses. Let this mind be in you, which was also in who? Verse 5. So Paul's telling them they need to be like who? Like Christ, like they have the mind of Christ. In 1 Corinthians, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter eleven, verse one, we read that Paul says, "Imitate him as what? As he imitates Christ." And Paul says that because why? Why did Paul feel the need to tell these people in Corinth, but whoever else would have read it? Why did he need to tell them that? That way that they wouldn't be trying to worship Paul per se, but you know, I'm doing this based on my my actions, Paul. And we read about that. It's, in, it's been a few lessons back when the, the church was all tore up about saying that who baptized who, right? I, Paul did this, or Apollos did this. If we're not careful, then we start imitating Christ or the preacher. 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 Do we know anybody that imitates the preacher? Do we know churches that sometimes kind of want the preacher to be imitated? That happens sometimes. Okay? Paul says not in these verses here, but pretty much the same. He's saying Christ 
the example. Verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. Then in verse 6, who being in the form of what? Did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. How many of us, if we had the power of God, would be overwhelmed with what all we can do with it? First thing I would do is I would not follow anybody going under the speed limit from here to anywhere. I told you about the little man and woman that live on our street there in the front. They drive so slow. Sunday evening when we were coming to church, we turned on to 27 and they were turning off at 27. I said, Mary, by the time we get back from church, maybe they'll be out. <laughs> All I want to do is pass them. If I had the power of God, I would pick their car up, set it in the driveway, and say, y'all don't get to go anywhere because every time I go anywhere, you're there too. Why am I thinking like that? I'm selfish. I really wanted to get to church one minute quicker than I was already going to get there. Think about that. You ever put that in your phone? Like, I want to get from here to there. And it says you'll get there at 7.42 p.m. It's like, I can beat that. <laughs> so I'm going to drive 90 miles an hour. I'm going to drive 90 miles an hour, get three of them killed in the process. But I got there at 7.40. <laughs> it was awesome. That does not matter, does it? But all of us, in verse 6... Who being in the form of God, we want to get into that form and do things for ourselves, right? God sent his son to do what? Seek and save the lost. Seek and save the lost. And who did he do it for? Us. Us. Interesting. God, who's all powerful, who has all knowledge, all ability, said, I'm going to do something good for those folks. Gotcha. When I look at verse 6, I can see what you're saying, but sometimes when I, I, well, sometimes I have to think that word for, mm -hmm. when he's in the form of God, I think he's talking about the uh, ability to be humility, the, the servitudinous attitude of God, because if you take that word for and you go back to Genesis chapter 1, when it talks about let us make man in our image, mm -hmm. it's the same thing. To make humans to be just like us, to be servants, to be hip to help others. I, I, you know, not necessarily have the power, right? But that, that mindset that I. Just so what, what he's saying there is this idea that I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to have that humility, right? That's what you're saying. Yes, yes. So let's go to verse seven then. But made himself, and that's a capital H. So who are we talking about? Jesus made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a what? And coming in the likeness of what? Man, made himself of no reputation. How do you read that? What does that mean? Made himself of no reputation. He looked just like everybody else. He looked just like us. It's interesting that there's no physical description of Jesus in the Bible. You know why that's interesting? Because it's not interesting. It's not important. That's why. Because that didn't matter. Because why would it why did it not matter what Jesus looked like? What's on the inside of the camps? But I would bet that if there was a movie being made right now about Jesus, they're probably going to pick somebody that's at least pretty attractive, right? Why? Why would they want the 
handsome man to play the role of Jesus in the movie. Yeah, I want people to come. Right? They want people to come to the movie. Well, that guy's really attractive. Well, that guy's really ugly. That's how it works. Okay? So he said, it says he made himself of no reputation. No real look, nothing fancy about him because Jesus' word was more important than his appearance. The second part there, verse 7, taking the form of a bond servant. We talked about that word a couple weeks ago. A bond servant is what? Just real simple. Servant, bond servant. Somebody has to pay off a debt. Somebody's working for someone else. Most of us probably wouldn't think that the Son of God would come to earth to work for others. That's what happened. Making himself the form of a bond servant and coming in what? The likeness of man. Meaning what? What does that the, coming in the likeness of man mean? He looked like one of us. Yeah. The idea being that if Jesus was a 2020 person, he'd have been sitting in the pew no really different than anybody else. He might have been a little taller or a little shorter. He might have been a little heavier or a little skinnier. I don't know. But just like I look out and I see 30 some odd people that all look similar but different, Jesus would have been the same way. Because Jesus was here to seek and save the lost with his word rather than with his appearance. Thoughts? There's not one word in the Bible other than Isaiah describes him as being, you know, just very comely, just very mm -hmm. plain looking. But there's nothing in the entire New Testament that says, well, you know, well, you're too handsome or you're too ugly or you're too, uh, you know, what well, on the inside is what mattered. You know, they, that's what they were uh, amazed at. He looked like a regular little Jewish baby, a regular little Jewish boy, a regular Jewish man. And even when they hung him on the cross, he looked just like the two guys hanging beside him, except... Of course, he was not, but he looked that he looked the same. He just looked like a vagabond, a drifter, uh, uh, maybe a loser, we might say. That's what he looked like to mm -hmm. people. And a lot of people thought, well, get rid of this guy. He thinks he's something special, and he's not anything special at all because he didn't have that appearance. Right. But you, you even look at the, the artist's descriptions of Jesus, and they want to paint him out to even stand up to be different. Some little sick, anemic looking. Can't even hardly get up and walk, person. Just, I mean, you know, they tried to make him look just like he was just, you know, he wasn't. You know, he didn't stand out different anyway. We've heard, I've heard preachers say it. You've heard preachers say it. Teachers say it the same way. I mean, Jesus would, Jesus' life and lifestyle required a lot of, you know, physical activity. I mean, they were walking everywhere. They were, you know, they were going through this. He probably, they weren't eating a ton. I mean, you don't see that. I mean, it would have been. You know, like you said, it would have been, he'd have been a guy. You know, he would have been, this would be uh, the guy. Now, let's go a little bit further uh, down. Verse 9, therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every what? Every knee should bow at what? And on uh, every, let's see, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. What does that mean? Yeah, the dead. So the, the, the heaven, on earth, under the earth, what am I, what am I leaving out? Everybody. That's everybody, right? Okay, we're in one of three places, right? In heaven, you're living right now, you're buried, waiting on the, uh, the judgment day, whatever it might would be, that under uh, any of those folks. In verse 11, and that every what? 
Okay, so, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, yes, Jesus took on the form of a regular average Joe. Jesus had humility, but God knew who his son was, right? And what was the God's requirement for me and you as compared to his son? We have to acknowledge Jesus as the Christ. Okay. There's no exception to that. All right. And anyone that leaves the world without acknowledging Christ as the Savior will acknowledge it at the judgment day. They, they cannot enter heaven unless they acknowledge Christ as the Savior. Absolutely. And he wasn't a good person. He wasn't a prophet. A good prophet, like some of the religious groups would say. He was the Savior. And the Savior of the body. We will acknowledge him either, either in our way. Thoughts? Comments? Got a little bit more time. Huh. And I think that we should. I, I would. I would feel sad for someone who was ashamed to acknowledge Christ. I've been in groups of people where they would not mention His name. They pray to God but leave out Christ. And I've always thought, well, that prayer didn't get higher than the ceiling. That's just my thinking. Okay, because you will go to God through Christ, or you won't go to God. So. If you're going to say a prayer and say, I'm going to leave Jesus out of the prayer completely, you don't need to say that prayer because it, it will never get there, in my opinion, uh, from what the Bible teaches. You've got to go through Jesus to get to God. He won't have it any other way. Absolutely. Other thoughts, questions? Let's go on this last little bit. Verses two, or chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. My Bible entitles this, Light Bearers. I'm going to do a little experiment here for you right now. I want you to keep looking at your Bible. If you have a digital Bible, this might be a little difficult. But I want you to be honest with me. I want you to tell me when we do this, when it becomes difficult for you. Right now, I want you to look at your Bible. Read verse 12 right now. Okay? Everybody do it? All right. Now, read... Verse 12 now. Can you read it? Was it difficult? Okay. Read verse 12 now. How many of you got how many got a little tougher? Okay. How many of you would like to have a flashlight right now to help? Okay? Some of you closer to the front, it might be easier than some of you in the back. Okay? How important is light for us? Extremely. It's extremely important. Why, that? Why is it extremely important? <coughs> to be able to see, right? First thing you do when you get in your house tonight, you're going to do what? You'll turn the light on, okay? A hundred years ago, maybe two hundred, I don't know, a couple hundred years ago, what's the first thing they would have done? They would turn the light on. Now, the term might have been something different, but they're going to light a lamp. How many of you, if you went into your house tonight without turning the light on, would probably run into something or drop something or knock something over? We need light, right? My Bible there at the top of verse 12 says light bearers. What do you think that means right there? I know we haven't read it yet. You read verse 12. But what do you think that means? We need light in the world. Now what if we turned the overhead off and the backlight off? Would anybody be able to see anything? But if I said, you're going to have 
you're going to have a quiz or a test on verse 12. And I turn all the lights off. It's going to be hard for you to do it, right? Can't read it, can't write, whatever. You know who the most popular person in the room would be? Person who's got a flashlight, right? If they've got a light, then you can slide over there and see what they got. That person can guide you, right? So if we're going to be a light bearer, if we're as Joshua, we're going to be the light to the world, that means our responsibility is going to be what? To learn the scriptures and then be able to do what? Share it with others. That guy at the front of the tour at Mammoth Cave is really popular. He's also really important. Because when those lights go out and he's the one that's got the flashlight, I mean, I could be, you could be five feet from the door and you know, probably not the door, mouth of the cave. Five feet from the mouth and you out. You don't know where you are. How does that relate to us in life? Well, without Christ, then we we can't find our way to heaven. We are hopelessly stumbling and lost. And that's why I like the verse, the, the old, of course, Lucille and I love King James. <laughs> well, now we see through a glass darkly. And mm -hmm. it's the analogy made with the light. Let's go, let's read verses 12 through 18 uh, here to uh, sort of finish up. Uh, Jimmy, do you care to read uh, 12 through 15? I won't turn the light off on you, Jimmy. Before you do that, I, I think about this pretty often, probably more than most people how dark it would have been back in the day. Yeah. We see light all the time. We go outside, it's still pretty light, you know, because of the street lights and the security lights and the headlights and the dash lights. And, We've got light all the time. But there are places, I've been out hiking and camping stuff for, and it's a dark night. You can't see, you can't see anything. It's probably not the case. And these days and time, it was it was scary dark, okay? Because you didn't know if the bad guy was right there two foot away. You could not see it. Right. And if you lit your little candle, you might could see two feet, but you couldn't see four feet, you know. Uh, right. This dark was probably been a lot more of those people than us for us now. But very seldom that we not have. Like you said, there's a term called light pollution yeah. that exists today. And, and really, where are we ever without light? Think about it. And we live in a rural area. Now, I know, Josh, you could have been in some spots where there wasn't a whole lot of light. But in, but in reality, most of us are never far from any kind of light. And then light pollution, meaning that the way that we really should have experienced the earth, we don't get the experience. Because there's always, you know, I'd like to go out and look at the stars. There's a street light right there that kind of makes that hard to see. Go ahead. Or did I take it from I'm just going to say, when I was out west in parts of Oregon, Montana, Wyoming, when you park, if you search lights off, it's dark. Mm -hmm. you, you literally can't see what's over there. The only light you have is the stars and moon. You're legit. And, and it's an eerie feeling when you're in that spot. Jimmy, I, I, don't, want to, I don't want to keep you waiting. Go ahead. <laughs> Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, you know, as in my
Paul says there in... Yeah, I may have... We'll try and hold on here. Paul says to them, Therefore, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, he tells them to do what? Work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? You are. We are responsible for ourselves. We're, we are responsible for ourselves. And I know that goes contradictory to a lot of things that we've talked about, which says that I am going to help you, and you're going to help me, and we've got to keep our legs together in the sack race and get all the way to the end. But how does it relate? How is that... I'm going to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling versus you and I have to work together to get there. How, how does that work? If if me and you are studying back and forth and you're not a Christian, I'm teaching, I'm showing you what the Bible says. You now have the knowledge. It's your responsibility what you do. But I've helped you, but it's ultimately your decision whether you're going to accept that or not. Absolutely. And so he says to them, he said, you've always obeyed. You obeyed when I was there, but you also are obeying when? When I'm not there, as much, but now much more in my absence. There's the person that teaches you and helps you. The person that is your Christian guide, if you want to think about that one, is not always going to be there. Most of us are really good Christians when we're in here, right? Why are we really good Christians when we're in here with everybody else? Yes, we're here encouraging. I don't want to do anything bad in front of these people. They might, they might think bad of me. It's easier to do wrong when there's somebody around, right? He says, when you've obeyed when I was there, you've got to obey now. When I'm not there, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Let's go to verses 14, 15, and 16 before we finish up. What attitudes must be avoided if we're going to be successful as a child of God. Verses 14, 15, and 16 are the ones. Verse 14, the first thing says, don't be complaining, right? Do all things without complaining and what? Ooh, that's the hardest thing, right? I've never complained. You should, you should bother yourself after me. I've never complained. How many of us have complained today? How many of us have complained more than one time today? Why do we complain so much? We're whiny, yeah. We want it our way, right? We're selfish. Well, how many of us have ever disputed with someone else, argued, went back and forth? Yeah, well, guess what? We're all humans, right? That's how that works. How was that? I said maybe yesterday, Boo and I were discussing, I call it disgusting, but disgusting, <laughs> but, uh, you know, she was saying what the Bible said, and I was saying what I thought or felt, and Exactly. Yeah. Without complaint or without dispute. Verse 15, what do we need to avoid? Well, I guess we don't need to avoid it, but, I guess pretty, pretty good. but we need to be, uh, that we may become blameless and harmless, right? Blameless and harmless. Yes, ma'am. I just want to say something that's been on my mind. Yes, ma'am. You know, the children's little song, This Little Light of Mine. Yes. I'm going to let it shine. Mm hmm. Absolutely. You know, if you're by yourself or if you're with a group, uh, I just think that's the best little song. Absolutely. Uh, kid songs are the best ones. They are. Oh, they are. 
The, the, the best lessons are taught in the kids' songs rather than 906 and 208 and all the songs that we might would sing. That we would be blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of what? Hmm. Boy, things are worse today than you've ever been in the history of the world, right? Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago and said that you may be blameless and harmless in the midst of what? Well, that works today, right? It's a crooked and perverse nation or generation, whatever term you want to use. Sounds to me like that the people around the Christians weren't too good back then. Well, we can relate, right? But it says we are to be what? Lights of the world. That we are to be blameless amongst those people. You're going to be, it would be really nice if everybody that we knew and everybody in the world was a Christian. That's probably never going to happen. That we can't try, but it's probably never going to happen. So that means we're going to have to live our lives amongst people that are not Christians. That's where Connie, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast what? Holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run or labored in what? Vain. Okay? That I have not run or labored in vain. Our responsibility, work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, provide that light to others, but maintain that blameless description so that when our life is over, when we finish, when, I, you know, when we cross the finish line, when our race is over, that we would not have run it in vain. There would be nothing worse than getting to the end of a race and they say, well, you're going to be disqualified. Or you have to run further. But we want to get there and not having done it in vain. We went a little long, I apologize. But any comments or questions before we wrap up? I don't think I think of work out your salvation fear of trembling. It kind of throws a monkey wrench into that. All you have to do is believe. Uh, it's not the only verse, but it's one of them that certainly does throw a monkey wrench into that if it, that's your if it, that's your thinking. Because the devils believe in trouble. Right. So those people that espouse that doctrine, all you have to do is believe is it's contrary to Bible teaching. What do you do with Jesus? Well,